to start things off a little bit differently tonight. Uh, my plan is to do this pattern every single three weeks. So, guys, remember two weeks ago we did some songs, we sang, praise God. Last week we did a game. This week uh, we're going to do something a little bit different that we haven't done in a while. We're going to split up and we're going to pray. So, real quick though, to start things off, Genesis 3.1. Isabella, go ahead and read that out loud. Everybody listen up. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Job 41.12 <clears throat> I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely uh, proportion. Mason, 2 Corinthians 11.14 And no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Alright, real simple. These three passages, who do they have in common? Satan. Satan. These three passages also have something else in common. What do you find out about Satan from the three of these? Jack? He takes many forms. Takes many forms. What does that tell you about him? What does that tell you about his personality? What does that tell you about his character? Bold. Bold, yeah. He's what? Sly. Sly. He's subtle. You know what I find out when I look at all three of these? The fact that he is more subtle than any beast of the field. The fact that God is saying, I will not conceal his comely parts. I will not conceal him. I won't hide him. I'm going to reveal him even though he wants to be hid. And 2 Corinthians, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. You know what that tells me? Satan does not like to be revealed. He likes to hide in the shadows. He doesn't like you and I knowing his tactics. He doesn't like you and I knowing anything about him. He doesn't want you and I to know what he's up to. We covered some things last week looking at uh, the four beasts and how it plays into the end times. And we looked at the Antichrist and who he is, his, his family lineage and his family legacy. And tonight is going to be no different, only we're going to start entering into some deep stuff. So you and I better be prayed up. It's been a long week for me. I don't know what it's been like for you. I know some of you, it's been quite a rough week. And so I think we should spend some time definitely praying. So here's what we're going to do. <laughs> Andy just got back from vacation. We're going to split up. I actually want to do uh, pairs of two. Now, if you're a guest and you came with somebody and, you know, maybe you could be a group of three in that sense, that's cool. But let's split up in pairs of two. You guys can come into this corner here. I actually opened up the uh, fellowship hall next, you know, not next door, but two doors down. Uh, you guys can split up. We're going to take the next 10 minutes and let's look. 10 minutes isn't that long. We're going to pray. Share one thing that's been rough this week. Share one thing that's been a praise this week. And you guys spend time praying, okay? And then we'll come back here around five till and we'll begin tonight's lesson. Sound good? All right, let's go. Hopefully you guys are prayed up. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. I have to apologize. Matthew chapter 8, I have to apologize. I know I said we were going to cover two questions this week. Uh, and then as I looked at the clock at 4.30, I realized... We're not going to get to second question tonight. Uh, Matthew chapter 8. 
I did. That was funny. That was good. That was good. That was good. Uh, no, that's not what that means at all. It's still probably going to happen. Um, so, you guys, I hope you are awake. I hope you're alert. I hope you're prayed up. We have a ton of verses that are going to be on the slideshow. There's also going to be a ton of verses that you're going to turn to. So, um, man, I should have done this while you guys were praying. Uh, does anybody have a Bible with a bookmark? Because here's what you're going to want to do, and hopefully if you have any other study sheets in your Bible, I need you guys to mark two places in your Bible. It'll just be easier and convenient. Uh, put one bookmark in Genesis chapter 6, and then put another bookmark in Psalm 82. We're going to be going to other places outside of those locations, but it's going to benefit you to have those two reference points. Do not lose it, because you're going to need to flip there quickly. One bookmark in Genesis 6. The other bookmark in Psalm 82. I don't have You know what, Sunday, wasn't Sunday such a blessing, you guys? We, we didn't have Andy to interrupt. We got done. We didn't get done in time. We went late. Um, I only have one. All right. That's a lot. <laughs> All right, one more time. Let's go ahead and go before the throne. Father God, I want to thank you for bringing us together uh, in this midweek. I, I remember when I was their age, I definitely needed this midweek uh, to come together, to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ, to hear something from the Word of God. And Lord, maybe, maybe this topic doesn't interest people. Um, maybe it's a topic where people are like, I want something more devotional. And I do believe that your spirit's going to lead it to devotional by the time we get to the end. But uh, Lord, this is very, very important. Um, this really is just the, uh, the beginning of a lot of the issues that we see in our lives today. A lot of the sin issues that people struggle with in here. This is... I, yeah, Genesis 3 is the beginning, but really, the evil that we're going to see here tonight, it originates here in Genesis 6. So I ask and pray that you would cover us with your blood, that you would cover us with your spirit, that you'd protect us, and that you would um, give us ears to hear, and that we'd pay close attention to your word, and that we would ask you right now from the, our seats, from the depths of our heart, Lord, what is it you want us to do with what we hear tonight? What do we do with the, these words? Please speak to us, have your way, and lead us in the way everlasting. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. All right, so the question that we're going to cover tonight, and then next week we'll come back to Ben's second question, because it does fit right into this, is where do spirits slash devils come from, and how can they affect the physical world? Now, we're going to end with talking about how they affect the physical world, but that second half of that question is going to play a part in next week's question a little bit more than what you'll see tonight, but we will still answer that question. Uh, but the first bullet point that I have on your outline there, uh, you have to understand that when it comes to the spiritual realm, when it comes to the unseen realm in Scripture, there are different types of spirit beings. And you have good spirit beings and evil spirit beings. I have Ephesians 6.12 up here on the screen, a key verse you guys are all familiar with. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against what? And against what? And against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Keep that phrase high places down because it's going to come up again. 
spiritual wickedness in high places. You know what? If you wanted an interesting study this week, just take that phrase and plug it into Blue Letter Bible or whatever Bible app you guys have and just search high places. You might want to put it in quote marks. Otherwise, any verse that has high in the first sentence and places in the third sentence, you're going to get those verses too. So whenever it's a phrase, you always want to put it in quote marks. That'll help narrow the search down and just see what you come up with. You'll see tonight what those high places are and where they, what goes on in those high places. But there's different types of spirit beings in the spirit realm. And this is what Paul is writing to us in Ephesians 6. This is what we wrestle against every single day. Contrary to what you think, contrary to what I think sometimes, it's not each other that we're fighting with. It's not your teacher or your principal. It's not that kid at school that makes fun of you. No. What this verse is telling us is that there is a power behind all of those things. Every single day affecting us. And so, because of this, what should you do based upon the rest of where Ephesians 6 goes? Anybody know? Put on that whole armor of God. How'd you do? Did you guys wake up this morning, put on the helmet of salvation, your breastplate of righteousness, where your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Did you have the sword of the Spirit? Do you have the, the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of Satan? Did you have a resolve of no looking back, of no retreat, of no going back to your previous lost life and the sins that death so easily beset you? Really, and I plan on teaching this later, especially for the guy study, that's why I think there's no back armor. A lot of people always say, well, the reason there's no back armor is because we're all praying for each other and we all have each other's backs. Uh-uh. Personally, especially when you study Greek centurions, when you study the Greek Spartans, when you study the Roman centurions and what kind of soldiers those guys were, whenever they went into battle, there was no retreat. There was never a moment in the battle where they would ever turn their back towards the enemy because they were pressing forward. They were pressing onward. So the enemy would never get a shot at their back. That's why I believe there's no back armor. And as Christians, is that what we're told to do in Philippians 3? to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So this is it. This is our battle every single day. Now, it's important to note in the second bullet point there that some of these spirit beings have bodies and some don't. But they all seem to have these two things in common. Now, you want to keep your study sheet. I, I don't think I'm going to do it again next week, but you want to mark these down because these two bullet points are actually going to come up more next week. But you'll kind of see the, where I'm going with that this week, tonight. Here's the two things they all have in common. Number one, they don't have souls. And number two, boy, do you want to mark this down? They don't have blood. They don't have souls. They don't have blood. Just something about that blood. Hmm. Mm, nah, not going to go there. It's funny. Like, there are so many things, especially with tonight, where I'm like, oh, if I mention that, there's probably going to be 30 questions in the question box afterwards, and it's just, we're never going to get out of Q&A. Not that I don't mind. I'm loving this. You guys enjoying the study so far? I am too. Okay, good. Now, third bullet point, and I got to qualify something here. What do we mean when we say devils? Well, you guys maybe hear the phrase and the word demon, and again, it's something in our vernacular, and even tonight I'm probably going to use the word demon several times over. But understand, the word demon is actually not found anywhere in your Bible. 
the word that the Bible uses to talk about demons, those evil entities, is devil. And so it's important to note, where do these spirits, devils come from? And is there a differentiation between the two? The third bullet point, all devils are evil spirits. So one of the things we're going to look heavily at next week is, what are some of these roles that the spirits do? Do they have any effect on us, and especially us as Christians? Make sure you're here for that one. And if you have anybody at your school who's a weirdo who likes looking into that stuff, invite them. Bring them out. All devils are evil spirits. Look at Matthew chapter 8. Don't believe my word for it. Let's see what verse 16 says. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with what? Devils. And he cast out the what? Spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. So you see how they're one and the same? Spirits and devils. Flip over to Luke chapter 4. Two books to your right. Luke chapter 4. Again, the importance of doing this Q&A series is not just to talk about cool stuff, but to see what does the Bible say and to let the Bible interpret things because let God be true and every man, that includes me, a liar. Luke 4, look at verse 33. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean what? And cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone, interesting, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? What are these guys' pronouns? <laughs> Just thought of that one. They, them. Yeah, we. He's plural. Hmm. Never saw that before till just right now. Saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. You might want to mark down also, if you're one to take notes, that in the book of Mark, I believe it's chapter 5, we're going to take a look at this next week, there's a maniac of the Gadarenes. And he says something very similar, only he says, What have we to do with you, son of the Most High? There's a reason why he called him Son of the Most High, not Son of God, not Jesus. No, Son of the Most High. Trace that phrase throughout Scripture and see what you get. We'll look at that also tonight, but it also does tie into the high places that we just saw in Ephesians 6. And look over at uh, verse 8. Or, sorry, chapter 8, verse 2. And certain women which had been healed of evil, what? And infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven, what? Devils. Devils. Holy smokes. I don't know how many of you guys got saved later on in your life, even though you're not really been living that long, but you ever stop and wonder how many devils were cast out of me when I got saved? Because when you get saved, when you make that decision to trust Christ and Him alone as your personal Lord and Savior, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you become a new what? Creature. You're completely transformed. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. <laughs> Who knows what stuff, like we talked about this past Sunday, is in your DNA, is in you, that at the moment you trusted Christ as Savior, boom, out, gone. When she got saved, she had seven devils cast out of her, one of which we know for sure, 
given her background and what she did before meeting Christ. More on the spirit of whoredoms next week. But I wonder what the other six were. All you got to know is, you know what? These things, whatever they are, they don't come alone. So, oh, in Revelation 16, I thought this was fitting. It's loaded on here. Why isn't it loaded on there? Hmm. That or the prince and the power of the air. Is this seriously going to happen? There we go. Hmm. I'm telling you guys, I'm halfway anticipating the lights going out tonight. You think I'm joking. You think I'm joking. And I saw, Revelation 16, 13, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. Hmm. Exodus, the plagues. Come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the who? And out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of who? What are the next two words? Hmm. Hmm. Working miracles. Something positive. Something you would never think to associate with a devil. 2 Thessalonians 2. It's what the Antichrist is going to do. Which go forth unto the kings of the earth. We talked about them last week. And of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So you guys see... When we use the word spirits, when we use the word devils, all devils are evil spirits. Now, as we're going to see next week, all spirits kind of have different functions and different forms, and they wouldn't necessarily be devils. Tonight, we're going to focus on the devils or, as we're known in our vernacular, demons. So go ahead and turn over to Genesis chapter 6. And the next bullet point, we're going to look at one possibility as to their origin. Now, I say one possibility because of the fact that, to give the answer away right away, the Bible's not 100% in its clarity as to where these devils actually came from. But as we're going to attempt to do for the rest of tonight, we're going to look at pretty solid evidence as to where these things probably came from. The second possibility is what we were supposed to cover next week, but now we're going to look at in two weeks' time. Hmm. <coughs> Turn over to Genesis 6. Did I ever tell you that? It's just me. All right. So one possibility as to their origin. You guys ready? Because I'm not. Genesis chapter 6. Verse 1. And it came to pass... When men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. All right, let me just get a kind of a consensus here. Some of you may know for sure what we're talking about, but when you see sons of God there, who do you guys think that they might be? Angels, okay, what else? Anybody else have a different opinion other than that? Okay. You know what's interesting? Most people, when they read that, think the godly line of Seth. You have Seth's line, you have Abel's line. And they think that the sons of God, or the, the, the solid, the godly lineage of Seth, and the daughters of men, well, they're the wicked lineage of Cain. 
and they say, oh man, they're unequally yoked, they're intermixing and they're mingling. Uh, just to let you guys know, actually, let me just go ahead and ask this. Is there anybody in here that, before, let me ask this, before you were born uh, and your mom and dad got married, was one of them lost and one of them saved? Yours was? All right, can you do me a favor and stand up? Pretty average height. Okay. Thanks, AJ. Going somewhere with that. That's crazy. Oh, wait, because, yeah. Uh -huh. Verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be in 120 years. Meaning, man, I'm bringing the hammer down in 120 years. There were, verse 4, what? Huh. In the earth in those days. And also, after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Yeah, yeah, mighty. I got it, yeah. He flexed his muscle. Ben was scared. <laughs> All right, so if the sons of God, if the sons of God are the godly lineage of Seth and the daughters of men are the wicked, wicked, how does that make you feel, ladies? The daughters of men are the wicked line of Cain. You mean to tell me that a lost person and a saved person can make a giant? You're pretty tall, I'll give you that, but he's no giant. Not to mention, not to mention, what, what are we talking about here? What's about to happen in 120 years? The flood. And guess what? There were giants after that day, and Cain's lineage was wiped out. You see, there's a lot of people who have a Bible who may even go to Bible school and Bible seminary school, and there's a lot of things written on the Internet and on YouTube that'll make you think that that's what it is don't be robbed by them. Go with your Bible, read your Bible, study your Bible, and God will give you all the answers. So there's giants. The sons of God, whoever they are, came in unto the daughters of men, and through this unholy alliance, you get giants in those days and after. The most famous example is who? Goliath. Before the flood or after the flood? After. Yeah. But there's giants in those days. Noah's days. Hmm. Interesting. Let's keep reading. Verse 5. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. You know what? Before I go further, let's actually go on our study sheet here and hammer these out here. So point one. We have the sons of God. And to fill in your blank that's in parenthesis there, I mean, it's the angels. Ben was right. Some of you guys have probably heard this before. But here's the thing. If you've heard this before, if somebody were to ask you guys the same question, where do demons come from, would you be able to show it in the Bible? Again, that's part of the reason why we're doing tonight. To give you guys the tools to know how to study your Bible, to put these notes somewhere that you're going to be able to open up your Bible and share it with others so that they can see the truth of the Word of God. Sons of God... How do we know this? Well, all you got to do is just trace that phrase. Can you guys in the back see that? 
I might need to modify the font on this thing. Job 1.6. You just plug in that phrase, sons of God, in your Old Testament. Job 1. Verse 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before who? And Satan came also among them. Somehow Seth's lineage found a way to get off this planet and go straight into the throne room of God. Mm -mm. Sons of God came and presented themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. Verse 1 of chapter 2 in the book of Job says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And then you go a couple chapters later in Job 38, verse 7, and you see there's a verse there where it talks about the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, when you see that phrase, morning stars, does that jog anybody's memory? Where have you heard that phraseology before? Maybe not necessarily plural, but singular. Revelation. Revelation and what? And what? This is interesting. Hold your place here. Let's turn to Isaiah 14. I'm glad this came up. This is a happy little rabbit trail we're going to go on. All right, somebody read me verse 12. Anyone? Oh, Sammy, go ahead. How art thou fallen from heaven, O whisper, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weak in the oceans? Hmm. Does it call Lucifer the morning star? It calls him son of the morning. Now turn over to Revelation 22. Again, this was a happy accident. Look at verse 16. Read it for that one. AJ. I, Jesus, have sent, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. All right, so let's ask this again. When you see morning star, who is it? Jesus, right? We just read 22, Revelation 22.16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Have you heard of the angel of the Lord? Yeah, anytime you see that phrase in the Old Testament, it is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. He's an angel. He is the morning star. And these are morning stars, plural. And they're also equated to the sons of God. So to nail this point, then I'm going to tell you why we went on the rabbit trail. Morning stars, the sons of God, in this context, are angels. Now, you know why I had you guys go on that little happy trail accident there? Because in many Bibles on the market today, 
in Isaiah 14, verse 12, it does say the morning star. But who did we see in Isaiah 14 that that was talking about? Lucifer. Lucifer. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Hmm. So in some Bibles on the market today, you have one passage calling a morning star Lucifer and another passage calling the morning star Jesus. Which is it? Oh, he's Christ, okay. He's Christ, all right. Anti-Christ. And he counterfeits the working of God to look just like him. And he wants people to be confused about the truth of who he actually is. Kind of funny. I didn't really plan on going on that way, but it kind of comes full circle to where we began tonight about Satan trying to conceal himself. Is he concealing himself in your life? Maybe certain struggles, maybe certain things that you're going through and you think, okay, no, this is totally of God. This person I'm talking to, it's of God. This decision I'm about to make, it's of God. Maybe it just looks like it's of God, and it really isn't, and you might be making a detrimental decision. Hmm. I'm glad we did that. Okay, flip on back to Genesis chapter 6. So hey, if you guys thought it was Lucifer, man, don't... Don't, don't feel bad about that because this is why we come here to have the word of God reveal truth to us and to knock out any kind of preconceived ideas that we might have had in other churches or from other people or just from our common beliefs or maybe even something that you might have read in another Bible. So don't feel bad about that. This is why we're here to study the Bible and see what the word of God says. I am so glad that God did that. All right. So, we see here from the passages of Job, sons of God is a phrase that's used to talk about angels. Sorry, I had you flip back to Genesis 6, right? All right, your other bookmark, Psalm 82. Why do I hear so many pages turning? You guys should already be there. It's called a bookmark. Get a piece of paper or your finger. Cut your finger off and put it in there. Just kidding. I didn't bring Just kidding. It's scary, actually. We're going somewhere with that. All right, Psalm 82. You know what's interesting about Psalm 82? This is one of those passages of Scripture that you guys have probably read in your, in your reading of the book of Psalms, and you're like, oh, that's an interesting psalm. And you might think, man, what a great song it is, and it's talking about worshiping and praising God. And you probably never even stop to think that the book of Psalms also has doctrinal application, some deep doctrinal truths there. So look at verse 1 of Psalm 82. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. So God is standing. And if you were to trace that phrase, congregation of the mighty, you know what we're talking about here? Talking about angelic hosts. You're talking about angels. God is standing there. And look what it says. He judgeth among the who? I thought there's only one God that the Lord is God and there is none else. Yeah, there is only one God that sits on the throne. And we are monotheistic. We do serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But did you guys ever stop and think that when we go through the Ten Commandments and we're talking about there being other gods, that, that maybe the Bible's not talking about little trinkets, little, little idols and statues, that there might actually be genuine 
lowercase g gods. He's standing in the congregation of the mighty, and in this congregation of the mighty, which is a phrase when you trace it to the Bible, is talking about angelic hosts. He calls them gods. Somebody tell me in Genesis 3, what is it that Satan promised Eve that she would be like if she took of the fruit? Gods. You ever notice how Eve never said, what gods? That'll fry your noodle like it just did Jaden right now. Uh-huh. Look at verse 2. Or I'm sorry, jump down to verse 6. I, this is God speaking, I have said, ye are, what? And all of you are children of the most high. What did that devil-possessed man in Mark 5, I told you, we're going to look at next week, what did he call Jesus when he came? Not Jesus of Nazareth, not the Son of Man, not the Son of God. He called him the Son of the Most High. Which is a phrase that talks about, man, there is no one who ascends higher than the throne. There is no one who is greater than he that sits on the throne. That's a phrase that is used specifically talking about Christ in heaven on his throne, surrounded by who? Angels. Good job, Andy just came back in the room and he knew the answer. Good job, Andy. Uh, ye are gods and all of you are children of the Most High. So the sons of God are angels. Now, what did we see? You can flip back to Genesis chapter 6 because the other passages I'm going to turn to, have you guys turn to, are near that. So, sons of God are angels. We've established that. And we see that in point number two, they left their first estate, their, their heavenly home. And there's a reason why I put that phrase. It's a Bible verse. You'll see it in a second here. They left their first estate in heaven and fornicated with the daughters of men producing giants as their offspring. Now, for those of you who don't know, maybe you're newer to the Bible, newer to church, fornication is just simply sex outside of marriage. It's any sexual act outside of marriage. Angelic beings came down from heaven, had intercourse with the daughters of men, and their fruit and their offspring produced giants in those days. Noah's days. For those of you who've been through How to Study the Bible, you guys know why I keep emphasizing those days. What is significant about that phrase, those days, or that day? Huh? Say it. That's what I heard. What? It's specifically talking about what's coming, but what specifically is coming? What days is it talking about? The tribulation period. When the church is raptured out of here and God unleashes literally all hell on this earth. So I wonder if God's trying to tell us something about what's going to happen in the tribulation period with this. Hmm. They fornicated. And I said that they left their first estate because that's what the Bible says. Jude 6 and 7 says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, it's talking about this event in Genesis 6, but left their own habitation, he, God, hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, and here's what it says, giving themselves over to what? 
So there you have it right there, exactly what they did. And going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Yeah, I'd say so. And so they're giants. They're their offspring. Now, this is Numbers chapter 13, before the flood, after the flood. After the flood, yes, because Genesis is where the flood happens. Thank you for the hesitation. They brought up an evil report. This is the spies. Israel, they've been delivered out of Egypt. They're going back to their homeland. You might want to mark down that this is the land of Canaan. It's Israel. But it was called the land of Canaan. You know why it was called the land of Canaan? Because as we're going to see here, Canaan and his kind settled in the land of Israel. You know who Canaan is a descendant of? Ham. One of Noah's three sons who did an atrocious act. And because of his atrocious act against Noah and his wife, his own mother, Noah cursed Canaan. That's questions in and of itself. So it's the land of Canaan. And we see as the Israelites are about to go and take the land of Canaan, they searched out the land and they said that we have gone to search it. It is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there, verse 33, we saw the what? The sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as what? So we were in their sight. These are the giants that were, came after the flood. That's a story for, in and of itself for a whole other day as to how they came about. Probably be a good question to put in the box too. So here they are, Canaan. You know what? We're going to do it. I told you guys you're going to be flipping all over the place tonight. If you're going to take notes, and I suggest you put this down, we're in the land of Canaan, right? You guys know what the word Canaan actually means? Canes. <laughs> chicken toast. That was good, Caleb. No, it does not mean canes. It means traffic. Oh, did I? There are two kinds of traffic. Traffic, as in, as in, uh, why, am I, why am I drawing a blank? Driving? Yeah, you have, yes, thank you. Beep, beep. I, I need sounds in order to communicate. Uh, that's traffic with T R A F F I C. What does this traffic mean? You're a merchant of some kind. You're a merchant of some kind of death. Think of drug trafficking. Or, 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 think about the number one endemic that is happening right now in this country and all over the world, human trafficking. Human trafficking. That is what Canaan's name literally means. Write down next to that, if you guys are taking notes, Isaiah 23, 8. And Ezekiel... 17.4 and you better bet your bottom dollar we're going over there. Turn over to Isaiah 23. I want to show you guys a little something that I just found out this week. I forgot 
Isaiah 23.8 and Ezekiel 17.4. Turn to Isaiah 23. You guys there? All right, Isaiah 23.8. Who hath taken this counsel against Tyre? Now, something that's interesting about Tyre, Tyre is a city that was completely demonic and was an enemy of Israel. But in Ezekiel 28, you know what God is speaking about in, in Ezekiel 28? He talks about the king of Tyre. And you know what he goes on to mention in Ezekiel 28 about this king of Tyre? You come to find out that not only was he a wicked king, but that the power and the evil behind him was satanic. Because Ezekiel 28 is one of the key verses and passages where we go to talking about Satan and what he's like, his physical makeup. More on that in the weeks to come. So the king of Tyre, he's talking, it's a picture of the Antichrist, the picture of Satan. Who had taken this counsel against Tyre, the crowning city, whose merchants are princes whose traffickers are the honorable on the earth. Now, you know something that's interesting? That word traffickers in your Bible there? It is the exact same Hebrew word for Canaan. You're learning something about the people of Canaan. You're learning something about these giants who live in the land of Canaan, the descendants of Canaan, the giant lineage of Canaan, the traffickers are among the honorable. That's somebody of high esteem. That's somebody who's wealthy. That's somebody who is of noble blood. These merchants, in other words, it's not your typical Joe Schmo over at Walmart kidnapping kids. They're the honorable. Going somewhere with this. Now turn over to Ezekiel 17. Why is it that human trafficking is the number one business even surpassing the drug trade right now? Who has the money to throw all this around? Hmm. Who has the most money? Uh-oh. Are we going into conspiracy theory territory? Hey, I'm just showing you what the Bible says. You make your own conclusions and applications. Ezekiel 17, look at verse 4. Actually, follow along with me, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, put forth the riddle, and speak a parable unto the house of Israel, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, a great eagle with great wings, long-winged, full of feathers, which had diverse colors, it's a diverse bird, came unto Lebanon and took the highest branch of the cedar. Verse 4. He cropped off the top of his, what? Young twigs. Young twigs. And carried it into a land of what? He said in a city of merchants. Anybody look at how many children go missing every single year? I debated sharing some of the stories I've heard from guys who are affiliated with our church who are in the armed forces and then did some contract work after they got out of the armed forces, but I'm going to spare you the details. But just let me tell you, 
this stuff is going on back then amongst the honorable, and they're taking the young twigs. And it's the exact same word, traffickers, that's used talking about the land of Canaan. This very same land that we're talking about in Numbers 13, the very same people who bred giants who came from the lineage of Canaan on the other side of the flood. They're giants. So what did they do? You guys remember in Genesis chapter 6? We didn't, I don't think we got a chance to read it. Remember what God said that the thoughts of everybody was only evil continually? And what else did he say filled the land? Anybody remember? Talking about these giants, talking about the days of Noah. Violence. And the thoughts of man was only evil continually. That's what you get with giants. That's the kind of things that we're dealing with that we're talking about here. Point three. Did anybody catch it? It's on the screen here. Highlighted. It is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. Notice how it doesn't say it's a land that is like eating up the inhabitants. Notice how it doesn't say it is as a land that eateth up the inhabitants. No. Who occupies this land? Giants. And what do they do to the people that are there? Eat them up. Point three. You want to know what's associated with Canaan? These traffickers, these giants... This is where they drank blood and ate flesh. Now follow along with me. We're going to go on a ride. This will be the section where we turn to the most passages because, as I said before, many of you might know about this story and you might understand where we're going by the end of it, but I don't think you've ever read the Bible and saw these passages before, at least in this context. Turn to Leviticus 17. Teasing for two weeks. Good luck sleeping after this. Get a bottle of melatonin. Take some vitamin D before bed. It helps. <laughs> Leviticus 17. Look at verse 7. And they, this is God speaking, it's the law he's giving to Israel. And they, the Israelites, shall no more offer their sacrifices unto who? Demons, after whom they have gone a whoring. This shall be a statute for how long? Unto them throughout their generations. Jump down to verse 10. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of what? I will set my face against that soul that eateth what? And will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the what? Look at the top of your study sheet. What is it that angels don't really have? No spirit being. What is it they don't have? Blood. Hey, what is a special creation that God gave to man 
that no angelic being has? Whoa, man. Woman was a special creation from the rib of God. God didn't make women angels. Eve was a special creation. How do you think that made Lucifer feel? How do you think that made the angels that followed him in rebellion feel when they saw that? Catch why they might have left their first estate and came down and did what they did in Genesis 6? Ladies, you think that maybe that helps understand why you're as attacked as much as you are this day and age, trying to get you to be more masculine, trying to get you to be more feministic, trying to attack what God made you to be? The life of the flesh is in the blood. There's something about that blood. They know it. They're jealous and envious of what they don't have. And they will do anything to try to get it. More on that next week when we start talking about how these devils and spirits operate and what do they do today. Jump over to chapter 18. Verse 21. And thou shalt not let any of thy what? Pass through the fire to Moloch. Neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. Hey, you know what I forgot to mention? You know what God they worshipped in the land of Canaan? The traffickers? Were they eating people? The young twigs maybe even? You know who the God was? Baal. They got that from Babylon. And you know who was a similar god to Baal? Because as after Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, when these different nations and, and languages and tongues started moving around, and they took their religions with them, and the, the gods that they worshipped, the Tower of Babel, just became named something else. There was this guy named Moloch. And you know what he loved? The same thing that Baal loved. Child sacrifice. That's what was going on in the land of Canaan where the giants were. God saying, you do not let your children pass through the fire. You do not sacrifice and offer your children to them. But it goes further. Jump over to chapter 26. Wow, three passages from the book of Leviticus? The jokingly most boringest book in all the Bible? Learn something here. It's almost as though God is trying to warn them about what happened in the days of Noah and why he's giving this law to not let it happen again. Leviticus 26, look at verse 27. Then let him count the years of the sale thereof. Nope, that's 25. 26, what did I say, verse 27? And if ye will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me. In other words, it's your choice to walk away if you choose not to do what I say. Verse 28, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. Verse 29, he's not condoning what we're going to read in 29. He's saying this is what's going to happen when you choose to deliberately walk away from God. And ye shall eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters shall ye eat. Just like the giants who were the offspring of the sons of God, angels, and the daughters of men, just like they were doing in the land of Canaan. 
God saying, you're going to do it too. You better watch yourself. Verse, yeah, that was no, verse 30. And I will destroy your, huh? I will destroy your what? High places. I told you to look out for that. Spiritual wickedness in high places in Ephesians 6.12. That's what we wrestle against. High places where all these groves, where all these false gods were, someplace up high. That's going to come back next week when we looked at where some of these demon-possessed people go. They're trying to get up high. They're trying to get to the most high. Hmm. Flip over to Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, look at verse 53. And thou shalt eat of the fruit. Again, talking about if they rebel, if they disobey, here's what's going to happen to them. Thou shalt eat of the fruit of thine own body, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which the Lord thy God hath given thee in the siege and in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee. In other words, when, going, when the going gets tough, you're going to be faced with some hard decisions and you're probably not going to be able to stand in the day of adversity is what he's saying here because of their rebellion and their refusal to do what God told them. How are you in the day of adversity? Do you falter or do you stand strong when you're being tempted, when you're faced with a tough decision? Where am I? What verse? 54. Or no... What did I say? Yeah, 54. So that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eye shall be evil toward his brother and toward the wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children, shall, which he shall leave, so that he will not give to any of them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat, because he hath nothing left him in the siege. So he's going to eat his own children instead of sharing it with the others. These are some pretty dark times that we're describing here, huh? There were giants in... Those days. Going somewhere with that one. This is describing a horrific time that I don't think we've seen yet, but we might be seeing pretty soon. From the sky. The tender and delicate women among you, which would not adventure to set the sole of her foot upon the ground for delicateness and tenderness. Even her... You know what she's going to be like when times are desperate? Her eye shall be evil toward the husband of her bosom and toward her son and toward her daughter and toward her young one that cometh out from between her feet and toward her children which she shall bear for she shall what? Eat them for want of all things secretly in the siege and straightness wherewith thine enemy shall distress thee in thy gates. Did you guys know this stuff was in the Bible? Especially in light of this context and what we're seeing the land of giants and what they did in the land of Canaan? Revelation. Let's jump to the New Testament. That should say Revelation chapter 2. Thankfully it does on your study sheet. This is talking about the church. The church. God is saying, I have a few things against thee, church, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Remember him who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit what? Hmm, history's repeating itself here. 
Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, church, because thou sufferest to allow that woman Jezebel, talking about a false harlot religion, see our notes on church history for that, which calleth herself a prophetess, and what does she do? To teach and to seduce my servants to commit what? And to eat things sacrificed unto idols. What did you guys think they were sacrificing in the Old Testament? And what do you think they were eating? Flip one book to your left, the book of Numbers 25. You know what verse 14 of Revelation 2 is talking to you about? It's talking about this event here. Numbers 25. Verse 1. How are you guys doing? I hope if you're getting worn out, it's because the Word of God is weighing heavy on you. Because it is me. Verse 1. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit what? Whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. You know who it was? It was the doctrine of Balaam. And you know what Balaam taught them? To worship Baal. The same God that they worshipped in the land of Canaan. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did what? And bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Last place, major place we'll turn to. Flip back to Psalm. Get your bookmark out. Only this time you're going to go to Psalm 106. Hang in there, we're wrapping up. <laughs> Psalm 106, look at verse 28. They joined themselves also into Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the who? Of the dead. So this here is talking directly about number, or, uh, Numbers 25, Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. It's talking about the same exact event. Jump down to 34. They did not destroy the nations, the giant nations, concerning whom the Lord commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works, became very, very familiar with this world system and how it operates and became friendly with it. Read James 4. A friend of the world means you're an enemy of God. Verse 36, And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their what? Sons and their daughters unto giants? Unto Baal? Unto who? Devils. Hmm. Boy, puts all of this conquest in the book of Numbers in a whole new light, doesn't it? Boy, puts the law of God and adhering to everything that God's Word says and not straying to the right hand or to the left hand, not dabbling in sin here and there, puts a whole new spin on our obedience to Christ, does it not? You think He's serious about it? Why did they do this? Verse number point four on your outline. Very simple. To corrupt the promised seed of the Messiah. 
Genesis 3.15 on the screen. It's the very first prophecy in all your Bible. God speaking to Satan. I will put enmity, division between thee and the woman and between thy seed, Satan. Yes, he does have a seed. And her seed, talking about Christ, because a woman doesn't have a seed, saying it was going to be an immaculate conception. Isaiah 7.14, Behold, a woman shall, bring, shall conceive and bring forth a son, and we shall call his name Emmanuel. That's why they did it. Because Satan hates the special creation of Eve. And the angelic beings hate the fact that there's a new son of God. Adam. I don't know if it's on your... It probably comes up later. But you know that in the book of Mark, I believe it is, in the genealogy... Not Mark. Matthew or Luke. Read all the Gospels. You'll find it. In the, in the genealogies, it calls Adam the Son of God because other sons of God were replaced. More on that in two weeks' time because it's a different sons of God than the ones we're studying tonight. So what do they try to do? Destroy, destroy, destroy. Muddy down the seed. Flip back to Genesis 6. Hopefully it's bookmarked. Verse 5, God saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast. Huh. Why did he have to destroy beast? Hmm. You ever read, and we don't have the time to turn there, but in Exodus 22, Leviticus 18, in chapter 20, that man is not to lie, meaning have intercourse with beasts, because it's confusion. It's an abomination. Where do you think that commandment came from? Why do you think in 1 Samuel chapter 15, when God told Saul, King Saul, to go into the land of the Amorites, I believe it was, he said, kill everyone. Man, woman, child, their sheep, their ass, their horses, wipe them all out. I had Jude 6 and 7 up here earlier, but now I got a new highlight on it. The angels was kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. He hath reserved an everlasting chains under darkness until the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and, and going after strange flesh. That's why God had to wipe out every animal that there was on the planet and why he selected certain ones, and why there were certain parameters that those animals had to come in. Because they were going after the creation of God. They wanted to destroy everything that he had made. And if that's not enough, look at verse 9 of Genesis 6. Verse 8 says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Verse 9, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his what? Generations. Meaning, there ain't no defiling of his bloodline. He doesn't have any kind of defilement in his lineage, in his generations. Plural. 
his family line. He was pure. That's why he had to carry on this task and this mission. Because everything was corrupted. Hmm. Man and beast. You know the first mention of the word devils when it shows up? You know what the, the Hebrew actually calls it? Calls it a satyr. Anybody know what that word means? Came across it in school? Megan, what is it? It's a half goat, half man. Did you all hear that? A half man, half goat. A goat has horns, and it is notorious for being a picture of Satan himself. But it's also half a man. Look back in Genesis 6 at verse 4. And there were giants in the earth in those days and also after that. We have a lot of information about the giants after that, but what about these giants? When the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, they bare children to them, and the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. In other words, they were famous. In other words, it's almost as though their legend and their stories might still be told in your literature classes to this very day. What was Poseidon? Half man and half what? God of the sea. Half fish. Hmm. You know what's kind of interesting? Another land of the giants that's connected to the Philistines, where Goliath is from. It's a land called Capthor. Capthor, I don't know. I think, it doesn't matter. I'm getting sidetracked. You know what that land, that island ended up becoming? The island of Crete. You know where Greek mythology came from? The island of Crete. Which, in the Old Testament, was a land that was settled by the Philistines where giants were. Hmm. You thought it was just some storytellers. Maybe. Maybe not. They corrupted the seed. They corrupted all flesh, point five, in the process. And number six. Verse 12, God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. All flesh, man and beast. Point six. Did you guys flip your study sheet over? Where you have it. Really? Yeah. They corrupted all flesh. Verse six, though they be gods. You got that? Okay. All right. Mine's on page one for some reason. Though they be gods, they and their offspring needed to be wiped out as men. Do you guys still have your bookmark in, in Psalm 82? You guys remember we looked at where God called these angelic beings gods? In the congregation of the mighty, look how he ends in verse 7. But ye shall die like what? And fall like one of the princes. Like one of the princes. Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. 2 Peter 2.4 Verses, or verses 4 to 6 also talk about these angels. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down where? 
and delivered them in the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. That's what happened to the angels. And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person. So you see how he's connecting? That these angels he's talking about here are directly connected to Noah and the stuff that was going on in Genesis 6? It's connected. And don't miss that. Noah was a preacher of righteousness in that day. Imagine the opposition that he had. You guys face opposition every single day in your hallways, in your classes? Do you have giants? <laughs> Do you have demonic entities that you're coming up against? He did. But he remained pure, and he preached the Word of God. He preached righteousness in the face of all of that. Wasn't many with him. He went it alone, and God took care of him. Though they be gods, and consequently their offspring, they needed to be wiped out as men. So we see what happens to the angels. They, boom, get cast right down into hell, and they're in chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Revelation chapter 9 will tell you that they're coming back from beneath to do the exact same crap they did before. But what about their offspring in the flood? Next bullet point. Devils are believed to be the disembodied spirits of the giants and the effect they have, t they have today is the same as it was then. We're, we're wrapping up this, this next part. I'll go quick. I put most of the stuff on the PowerPoint, but don't miss this. Think about all of the sickening sh stuff that we looked at, all the sickening crap that we looked at tonight. All of it. You ready for this one? Maybe some of you thought about it earlier tonight, but maybe in the midst of all the verses, it kind of got lost on you. Matthew 24, verses 37 to 39. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, not after, before the flood, those giants, they were what? And drinking and eating, marrying and giving in marriage. Does it make sense now as to what they were eating? Make sense now as to what they were drinking? Do you have some kind of idea as to what the, I guess you could say marriage ceremony looked like, but I prefer ritualistic occultic ceremony? What that marriage looked like? And the giving in marriage, we know that, that what that was. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark. Until the day he was raptured out of here, caught up, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It's coming back around again. Tribulation period? Maybe? A little underground kind of a way? This day and age right before the rapture? Maybe not them coming down and leaving their first estate, but the disembodied spirits of their offspring are somewhere. More on that next week. And this is where this is why God ended up
cutting the second question out on your outline here. It's the exact same six points we just looked at but from a devotional application. How does this apply to us today? Point one, we see sons of God today, which are believers. That's what John 1.12 says, right? As many as received him, got saved, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. That's you and me. And 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be the sons of God. But you know what we are in this day and age in Laodicea? In the lukewarm church, we left our first love and committed spiritual fornication, producing famous men of renown in the congregation. Jude 6 and 7 has been showing up again and again tonight. Here's the very next verse, verse 8. Likewise, just as those, those angels, likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, ruling, authority. They despise authority and speak evil of dignities. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of who? Balaam. Talked about him for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. That's Korah. You can check out number 16 where it says that there were also famous men of renown just like the offspring of the sons of God and the daughters of men. There's a lot of famous men of renown behind pulpits today in churches and you know what they're doing? Point three. They're drinking wine and bread. You know what wine is called in the Bible? The blood of the grape. You can read John chapter 6 later when it talks about Jesus saying, you need to consume my flesh and drink my blood. But he even says, hey, these words are spiritual, I'm not talking literally. But you have churches today that talk about drinking wine and eating flesh and saying that it is literal. By the way, you ever think of this? Canaan, Canaan, and they served Baal. Wonder where we got that word from. They drink wine and bread. And the Bible says this. This is what the Bible says in the tribulation. The Antichrist's one world religion. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet cover. By the way, what is she writing in this passage? She's very closely intimate with a beast. Hmm. The Antichrist's one world religion. Satan and this religion are very close together. And decked with gold and precious stones of pearls having a golden cup in her hand full of what? Abominations. We looked at abominations tonight and filthiness of her what? We're talking spiritually though. We're talking betraying our husband, Jesus Christ. Why? Oh, you can check out 1 Corinthians later, but it's talking about when you, when you or sacrifice to idols, there's a devil behind it. Why? To corrupt the incorruptible promised seed of the Word of God. 1 Peter 1.22 says that the Word of God is incorruptible seed. And He's given us precious promises from this book. Did you notice last week when we looked at Daniel and his image of Nebuchadnezzar, when he's talking about the end times, that there was the clay and the iron mixed together? Whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, speaking of the Antichrist's kingdom, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men. Question, who's the they? 
I don't know. But I know if they're intermingling with the seed of men, they ain't men. That's going to be the power behind the Antichrists. Verse, or point five, they corrupted minds from the simplicity that is in Christ. So many churches today are robbing people of the simplicity of the Word of God, and you go to school with some of them. You need to reach out to them and share the truth of the gospel with them. Because number six, these people, these men of renown today, though they have a form of godliness, 2 Timothy 3, 5, they deny the power thereof and their sinfulness must be wiped out. I'm not saying we kill them. I'm saying they need to do what Romans 6 says. They need to reckon themselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto Jesus Christ our Lord. They need to get saved. That's the effect of these disembodied spirits on us. And that's where they come from, possibly. Second option will be two weeks from now. The effect that they have on you and me today, next week. Let's pray.